Listener Production. The green and gold mark their passage as co-hosts of the World Cup with the ninth win in their last ten matches. So this is a huge week in women's football with the FIFA Women's World Cup kicking off in Australia and New Zealand. So that means the best female soccer players are already here. They've flown in, including our own Matildas, many of whom play overseas during the normal season. It's so exciting. I think to think the opening game is going to be over 80,000. I mean, that's already huge and um, going to expose women's football to Australian public. In this episode of The Briefing, I'll interview two Matildas, Charlie Grant and Tegan Micah. They both have really interesting stories. Charlie is just 21, so it's her first ever World Cup. Tegan's playing her second, and she studied psychology and trained in the same LA gym as Serena Williams. That interview with the two Matildas stars coming up after the headlines. Here they are with Katrina Blowers. It is Tuesday, July 18. Hey guys, well, speaking of the Matildas, they've released a video calling on football's governing bodies to invest more in the women's game. FIFA will still only offer women one quarter as much prize money as men for the same achievement. Oh, a quarter as much. Um, They're going to speak about the need for Australian football to capitalise on the momentum of the Cup, calling for a full-time A-League women's competition, and they want more women involved in coaching, refereeing and administration. Meanwhile, Football Australia boss James Johnson has declared Australia will bid again for the men's tournament after we're done with hosting the Women's World Cup. Wow, that'd be exciting. Yeah, interesting, this video from the Matildas. What it says to me is that, yes, the game's come a long way, but there's a lot further for it to go. And hopefully the World Cup, I mean, as that video is trying to make the point, hopefully it builds the momentum so there is more interest in the women's game and Mm. these amazing players can have full-time careers here in Australia because at the moment it's pretty difficult to eke out a living here in Australia for women's footballers. And the official pitches for and against the Indigenous Voice to Parliament are being revealed today. So the pamphlets for either side will be published on the Australian Electoral Commission website and then later on, further down the track in the campaign, they will be coming out in hard copy in our letterboxes. So the yes case is arguing it's about recognition, better living standards for Indigenous Australians, and the no campaign is labelling it risky and divisive. And they've also signed up some big um, sporting stars for the yes campaign, Katrina. A Queensland hero, Jonathan Thurston, and also Eddie Betts from the AFL. That's pretty big news. Um, I'm interested. I'm going to jump on the AEC website today and have a look at both sides, not just because I really am keen to just see it in its entirety laid out, mm. um, you know, the arguments for and against, but also because the AEC hasn't fact-checked or altered either of those cases. They're completely unedited and unformatted. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I just want more information, I think, like a lot of people do. Well, yesterday, Jan and I were talking about when the date for the referendum will be and that the sort of no campaign just gets more and more momentum the more it drags on with a lack of clarity around the date. And yesterday, um, the Prime Minister said he won't be announcing it at Gama. That's a big Indigenous festival in the Northern Territory in a few weeks. Mm. Um, so it's going to be even longer before we find out the date. Well, there are calls for the big four consulting firms to be broken up following the fallout of PwC leaking tax secrets. A Senate inquiry is being told the groups need to be overhauled with calls growing for a royal commission. 
It is clear on the evidence that these firms have been able to operate beyond the law, beyond sanction and beyond regulation. Former KPMG partner Brendan Lyon talking at the Senate inquiry there. Uh, Tom, these calls have been growing for quite some time. Alan Fells, who's the former head of the mm. National Competition Watchdog, the ACCC, has also argued um, for that to happen, for, for the big four to, to be broken up. Um, Deloitte has also revealed that they stood down an employee who shared confidential government information with another employee mm. without authorisation. Yeah, and there was another very awkward moment for Deloitte yesterday where their boss, Adam Powick, um, had to admit that um, he earns $3.5 million a year. Have a listen to this. Are you really worth seven times the salary of the Australian Prime Minister? No. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, well, look, I guess he was honest like there. That, yeah, when you put it like that, it is hard to justify, but it's not unusual in the corporate world for people to earn that much, let's face it, mm. those lucky and, devils. And that's what he said. He said, basically, you can't compare politics to the, the corporate sector. They're, they're uncomparable. And this is the industry standard for what, what he does. He also admitted that he was very privileged to earn so much money. Well, this is a bit of a wild story uh, out of Queensland. Bystanders have helped save a young woman being attacked by a pack of dingoes at Gari, formerly Fraser Island. She will need uh, ongoing treatment and um, to manage that, she may need referral to specialists to manage those those injuries. That's Ambo Matthew Steer talking about those injuries, which include a number of bite wounds to this woman's limbs and torso. Um, she's 24. She was going for a run along the beach yesterday when she was surrounded by four dingoes. Uh, she then ran into the ocean to try and escape them because in the past, um, you know, when people have been sort of approached by dingoes on the beach, that has worked. They go into the waves and, um, you know, it's a way of getting away from them. What's different about this attack, Tom, is that two of the dingoes then chased her into the water. Um, some guys who were passing by in utes and four-wheel drives, they saw this all happening and it, the reports are that they had to punch these dingoes to get them off her. Oh. Uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of talk about what should happen now. One of the dingoes mm. was even wearing a tracking collar because it had been identified as a bit of a problem in the past. There's been a number of attacks lately, one on an eight-year-old boy. He was being held in his father's arms and the dingo came and nipped him on the backside. So, yeah, this is going to be big news again up here in Queensland today. So where are most Queenslanders at on this? I know it's, it's sparking a debate. Should they cull the dangerous dingoes? What are most people thinking? This is such a popular spot for, you know, camping trips and four-wheel driving. And people are now saying, look, if we can't take our kids there, you know, it, like we're just not going to go. Um, but the the local rangers say culling is not the answer. So, uh, yeah, who knows? This is, this is going to be something that's going to be talked about for a while, I think. And Elton John has testified in the Kevin Spacey trial. So one of Kevin Spacey's alleged victims says uh, the actor aggressively grabbed his crotch whilst driving to Elton John's summer ball in 2004 or 5. So John appeared in the London court after his husband, David Furnish, testified that Spacey did not attend the party the year the accuser said he was attacked. 
David Furnish said he went through the photos and it showed that Spacey only attended in 2001. The alleged victim said he may have gotten the year wrong, but he would not have forgotten the incident because it took his breath away and he almost crashed the car. This is turning out to be a very interesting trial involving some huge names. Um, we'll keep following this one. Katrina, we'll catch you again very soon. I'm about to talk to two Matildas. Time to meet Charlie Grant, also known as Charlotte Grant, and Tegan Micah. They're the two Matildas speaking to us ahead of Thursday night's match against Ireland. That is their first clash in the FIFA World Cup, hosted here in Australia and in New Zealand. So both Charlie and Tegan play for Swedish clubs normally, but they are back home now and raring to go. Charlie, Tegan, thank you so much for joining us. Given that soccer is known as the world game, does that make the World Cup particularly important in your sport, Charlie? Yeah, for sure. I think um, World Cup is the the biggest stage for uh, for football, and um, so yeah, it's definitely been a sole focus for the team in the coming years. Of um, and especially being on home soil, we want to make the country proud. So it's definitely been on the forefront of our mind. And Tegan, what about you? You've played one World Cup before. How are you feeling about this one? To play a World Cup on home soil, I don't I don't think you can beat that at all. Um, obviously, it's an honour anytime. You get to go to a World Cup and yeah, just this being my second, I'm just I'm so proud to be in the team. But I think being able to do it in front of our fans and just show Australia like how far this game has come. Yeah, I don't think there's like anything better than that really. Both of you guys are playing in Sweden and I guess this is another factor of playing the world game is that to build a big professional career, you basically need to spend time out of Australia. How has it been working for you guys? living and playing there and then somehow preparing for the World Cup with the Matildas? If it weren't for coming to Sweden, I wouldn't be in the um, national team today. I think everyone has different pathways and you can see that some people have stayed in Australia and are still in the World Cup team and then others have played overseas. But um, I feel like I've developed my game so much being here and like, yeah, a lot of the work is done in the club to prepare for the national team. And I'm really grateful for both. I've been at two clubs where Tegan's at now, Rosengard and now Victoire with Katrina Gorey and Claire Polkinghorn. And they've both been, yeah, huge in my development and um, I'm really grateful for them. And yeah, it's really helped me prepare going into the national team. The most important thing for us is to play in that like professional league like year round and that's why a lot of us do come overseas and it, it is a sacrifice in a way um you know you're away from your family away from Australia and, and the good weather you know what it's like but at the same time like we always say it we're like we're so grateful like as if we get to live in Sweden play professional football like travel around Europe and play so like there is like a balance of both sides sometimes it is really tough but other times it's like we're super grateful for what we do and have the opportunity to live abroad as well and just keep getting better and playing those games like week in, week out in, in really top like European um, leagues. Tegan, the other interesting thing about you is that you've studied psychology at UCLA in California, which meant you're in the same gym as some really elite athletes like Serena Williams. So what did you learn throughout studying psychology and also seeing athletes like that in training? 
I'm so grateful for my UCLA experiences. There's so many top athletes there. And I remember in like the Hall of Fame of, of UCLA, they have like this area. And I think it said like something like if, if UCLA was a country, it would be like fourth in like medal tallies for the Olympics. And I think that just goes to show like how many great athletes go there and, you know, to have that good combination of, of study and be in like an elite sporting environment. So I think for me, like being around those people every day, like it was super motivating because you're seeing them like A, like crush their sport and their craft, but then B, also like know the importance of having a good education and having like a solid backup plan. Like we need to do that, whether it's male or female footballers, like Mm. you never know what's around the corner. So for me, it was like the perfect combination of both in a world that is like literally there, like all the staff, all the coaches, like they're there to help you succeed in both like academics and sports. So I just Mm. thought it was like the best combination. And so what's your approach to mindset when it comes to sport? Have you landed on your own philosophy on on the psychology of sport? I just try to enjoy it. I don't overthink things a lot. I have learned a lot in terms of mindset with just being a goalkeeper in general, you know, if you make a mistake, it can cost the team. So things like that, you have to be able to let go in the moment. Like, yeah, I can think about it later on. But mm. I think that's a very strong tool that I had to learn early on in my career because if you make a mistake at the beginning of the game, you can't just think about it for the rest of the 90 minutes. Otherwise, that can cost you too. So just being able to enjoy it and kind of like let go of things easily has been really important yeah that's so interesting like as a goalkeeper having studied psychology because it must be possibly the most psychologically challenging role on the field yeah yeah i'd definitely say so especially just because like there is only one spot it's not a position that you sub so you go through lots of highs and lows in your career with those things and playing not playing but then it's also like you can be the hero or the villain. There's genuinely not really an in-between. Um, so mm. it, can, it can be very tough and that's why we do say like we have a goalkeeper's union and we always support each other because we know like exactly how it feels. Yeah, I imagine it can get a little lonely when things go wrong, especially at, on the world stage like at, at a World Cup. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> And so, Charlotte, you're at an earlier stage of your career. What's it like coming into this Matildas team and getting to know and play with some of the legends like Sam Kerr? Yeah, it's been a very um, surreal experience. I think um, I've looked up to a lot of these girls growing up, so now to be sharing the field with them, yeah, is an honour and um, dream come true. But we've really grown as a tight-knit group over this past year or so, and um, I think that's really good going into the World Cup. And what advice have you been given about stepping up to this level of and playing in a World Cup? I mean, has Tegan been sharing any of her um, psychological insights from UCLA or the coaches or the other players? What What's the sort of chatter going into a competition of this epic proportion? Yeah, I think the best advice is just embrace it. I mean, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So just make the most of it, enjoy every little moment. Um, this doesn't come around very often. So we just need to focus on making that nation proud and um, that's just going out there, enjoying the game and doing our best. And how much has the game changed? Like this is obviously such a, a pinnacle moment for women's football in Australia hosting our own World Cup. Say compared to when you guys were young growing up and 
I imagine wondering if there would ever be the possibility to have a professional career in, in your chosen sport compared to where we are now, you know, with you guys able to have professional careers in Europe and for us to host our own Women's World Cup. How far has the game come and, and where do you think it's going here in Australia? For me, like I started playing with boys and and now I just got sent in my primary school and I just got sent a picture recently of my school team having an all-girls team. So I think that just goes to show the participation of girls are growing already and to think what this World Cup will do for the sport will be, yeah, really exciting. But I think Tegan probably could add um, more to that. A lot of us have had that experience of growing up and not really having a female role model in the sport to look up to. I know for myself, if someone asked me when I was eight, nine, ten years old, I would have said, yeah, I want to play for the Richmond men AFL team. We didn't have those role models growing up, so I think it's just like such an honour to be able to show the young girls now, like, no, this is a career, this is something you can do. Like, if you love the game, just, just persist because I don't think it was until about like 14, 15, some girls even later that we realised like, oh, like this is a career, this is something that we are able to do just like the men are. So I think like this World Cup is only going to, you know, drive that forward with the young girls and the participation in the country. So it's just super exciting. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine what it's going to be like for young girls, 5, 10, 15 years old to see their, their Matildas here on this stage? Yeah, it's so exciting. I think to think the opening game is going to be over 80,000. I mean, that's already huge and um, going to expose women's football to Australian public. All right, so getting down to the um, the most difficult question of the whole interview, where are the Matildas going to finish in this World Cup? I believe it was ninth in the last World Cup, seventh before that. Where do you see you guys finishing? Number one, obviously. I want to go all the way. I think everyone does. We wouldn't be in the team if we didn't see that as a possibility. Yeah, I think we're just going to take each game as it comes, focus on the on the home opener first and then second and third group stage and then, yeah, we'll see where we go from there. Agreed. Well answered. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one answer to that question, obviously. <laughs> yeah. How do you think we make the most of this moment of, of, of hosting this event in Australia? Obviously, it's just have a great time and, and you know, hopefully a fantastic, competition um that that we win but also just i guess the the focus and the energy and the strategy around the sport how do we use this this massive opportunity to keep growing the game for women here in australia that's that's a tough question i think obviously a lot i think from from what i'm hearing a lot of our games are going to be sold out which i think is unreal i also think that people should go to the other games as well in, in such a sense and bring that energy because there is so many talented footballers out there to watch. So I think one way also, if you if you can't be getting tickets, you know, if you've missed out on Matilda's, obviously still watch us at home on TV or, or go to a watch party or something, we definitely want the, all that support. But I think also just to watch the talent in the other girls' games as well, see how much the game is developing, that can also, you know, inspire other people as well. Touching on T and what she said, it's just going to grow the opportunities, what's available for the younger generation. That is Charlie Grant and Tegan Micah, two Matilda's stars that you want to be watching this Thursday night when they play Ireland. Uh, this is just such a huge opportunity for women's football in Australia to be hosting this event. So the more ticket sales, the more TV viewers and ratings 
And possibly the more registrations from girls who are inspired by this event, the stronger the game will get here in Australia. And the more Australian women um, that will be able to play at a professional level and make this a career. Listener.